It's such an appropriate time to do baptisms when we come to Pentecost. This, not the day of the birth of the church, really. The church existed before this passage that Tony read to you from Acts 2. But it is, it is the, import, it's the pouring out of the Spirit. It's the empowering of the church of Jesus Christ to do its work. It's hard to overestimate how important this day is in the life of the church. How, how essential is the work of the Holy Spirit? I, I was, I, I kid you not, I had already prepared my notes and I was gonna say in my notes, it's as important as electricity or running water in our modern times. And then we had all the glitches with the, with the projection equipment. So, you know, it sort of made my point, didn't it? We were all lost because we didn't know how to open up that red book in front of you and actually look the page numbers up. So. But in that same way, the Holy Spirit is essential in the life of a believer. And you need to know that. Because oftentimes it's easy to feel as if you're, you're doing this on your own. You're, you've, you've, you've encountered the, the person of Jesus. You've heard the good news. And you're trying to do this work. But it seems as if it's overwhelming and impossible in the face of a culture that increasingly wants you to go in an extremely different direction. It's important to remember that we aren't called to do it alone. Jesus said in that gospel passage, I will send another helper to you who will be with you forever. He'll dwell with you. He'll sustain you. He'll teach you. He'll empower you to do the work. The book of Acts is written by Luke, who was a physician. He was an, a companion of Paul, the great apostle and missionary of the church. And Paul is traveling around, planting churches. Luke knows something of the miraculous power, the empowering strength of the Holy Spirit and his work. He had seen Paul get stoned. He had seen Paul uh, get bitten by a snake. He had seen him in all sorts of horrible circumstances, and yet God had sustained Paul and carried him through. He'd either been there or he'd heard about those stories. And so Luke knows a lot about what he's talking about when he begins to write his second volume, his first volume being the, the gospel of Luke, his second volume being the Acts of the Apostles, what God began to do through Jesus Christ as he begins in chapter 1. And so Luke begins to give us this account of the gift of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. Notice that it is very much tied to the ascension of Jesus. Last week as the church, we celebrated uh, ascension tie. We, ascended, we, we celebrated the fact that Jesus, after being alive, after his resurrection on the earth for 40 days, ascended back to be with the Father. And we don't weep because Jesus left, but we worship because he left, because by him leaving, he actually can be everywhere with us all the time. But the other reason why we rejoice and we worship him is because he has sent this helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity to be with us, to be our provision. God has provided. Jesus returns to the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for us now. He's interceding for little Blake, who'll be baptized and he sends his Holy Spirit. If you will, think of like an escalator, right? One goes up and the other comes down. The person of the Holy Spirit comes to be around us. It's important that we focus on the Holy Spirit. It's not like a computer operating system that just works and you don't have to look at it or worry about it. It's, it's important that we know about the work of the Holy Spirit because 
we are told that we can either yield to the Spirit, cooperate with the Holy Spirit, or we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in ourselves and in the life of the church. I'm not a sailor. I, I don't think I um, desire to be a sailor, but, but I know a little bit about sailing, and I understand that there's, you can either work with the wind or you can be trying to sail against the wind. And I know there are ways you can work that, but I think it's much easier when you've got the wind with you rather than when you're working against the wind. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you for a couple of minutes about this passage and what the Lord is telling us uh, through, through Luke the physician, through his account of the acts that went on after Jesus ascended. First of all, we are told that this, this moment when the Spirit is poured out, when the Holy Spirit comes upon all 120 people, really that's the early church. That is the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Just, just think about that for a second. From 120 people to over 2 billion people in the world that would consider themselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ. From 120 to 2 billion. It's quite an amazing growth, the church. That's only possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now you may be saying, well, it seems to me like Christianity is losing in the world. Well, that's because you're not in the right parts of the world. If you were in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, or if you were in Indonesia, or if you were in South America, you would see a vibrancy and a life to the church, and the work of the Spirit is going on. The, the work of the Spirit is going on where people are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Jesus continues to desire to do a great work in North America, but he's looking for a group of people who will be yielded to his Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, we see fire and we see wind. Now, for Floridians, wind is not always a good thing. We, we are used to the wind blowing, and it seems a little bit like a hurricane when they describe, when Luke describes to us this mighty wind that blows through. But the wind is oftentimes related to the person of God. It is in the Old Testament that, that the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, the breath of God, literally in the Hebrew, is moving over creation, creating everything that is. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you can see that account. There is a breath that Jesus breathes on his disciples. That was a little a little touchy two years ago when we did that during the beginning of COVID, you know, breathe on me, breath of God. I told David, I said, eh, we might want to put that one on the shelf for a couple of years. Breathe on me, breath of God, you know, but, but the breath of God, the wind of God, the, the ruach, the breath of God coming upon God's people. So if the spirit is being poured out in a new way on the church, of course, it's going to be hurricane level winds, it's going to be powerful and mighty winds. We don't want to mistake that this is, in fact, God's, God's power being manifested. And everyone notices it. You hear all these people, all these worshipers who have come for the Jewish holiday. They've all come to Jerusalem, and they're from all sorts of different cultures. And they are first drawn to the noise, the sound of the wind, and what is going on for this 120 people Accompanying that is fire. 
Fire is also another sign of God's presence in the world. Think back to Moses in the desert. It's a burning bush that he first moves over and checks out. And God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. It's that, that sense of fire. The, the, the Psalms and other places in the Old Testament talk about the refiner's fire and how God uses fire to purify people for himself. It's, it's the fire of purity. It's supposed to be why bishops wear those crazy hats. I'll just be honest, I'm, that's, that's probably the biggest stumbling block for me right now. So I, I may or may not show up on the 27th of August just because I'm not excited about that. It's the idea that there's this, the fire of God being poured out. But it's, but it's not just on the bishops. It's not just on the apostles or the disciples. Note that that it's poured out on, on all, and I'll get to that in a second. But, but first of all, it's this power being poured out on the church and God is manifesting his glory and his power and he's showing, he's showing the church that in fact, it's gonna be him that's gonna do the work through them. You feel like sometimes you're swimming upstream, that you're on your own, that it seems like everywhere you look, there's just, bad stories and some of them are involving the church and it just makes you want to go, ah, you know, it's like the old joke about the, the police officers taking the exam and they give them this horrible scenario with all these different things going on. And, and at the end of the, end of the question, it says, and, and you as a new, you know, new young officer, what are you going to do in response? And the, this one really, you know, probably, well, I won't say, he, he, this one kid who's either really creative or really stupid, he writes in, I'm going to put on plain clothes and blend in with the crowd, right? It's like, I don't want anything to do with all that. So then the sense that we can find ourselves just overwhelmed, it's important that we come back to the day of Pentecost and remember that God has poured out his spirit in power. God has manifested his glory and that same spirit is at work in our lives as a congregation and it's alive in each of us. We notice also in Acts 2 that, that the Spirit is poured out on all the church, all that's gathered there, that whole 122. And at the same time, it's poured out on each individual person. That's important to note. As a matter of fact, you begin, if you look at that passage, Acts 2 verse 1, they were all together. Luke wants us to know that they were all together and that the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. The Holy Spirit is the source of their power to do the work they've been called to do as the church as one. I will just tell you that one of the places that I have been most profoundly aware of God's spirit and power working is when I see Christians cooperating and working together. And I've been privileged to, uh, to see that in lots of places in my life. Uh, you know, I, I saw that when I was uh, a college student, I went off to do short-term mission work uh, in Frankfurt, Germany. And there I was working in a military community. It was made up of mostly Air Force and Army personnel. And I was doing youth ministry for their children. And uh, that was a great experience to learn how to do ministry. But I was also amazed at how this this collection of Christians from all over the world, United, and they were United States people, but they were from all the United States who were there in, in Europe and they were serving God, Baptists and Church of Nazarene and, and, and Catholics and Lutherans and non-denoms and all sorts of people. And they were working in community together. 
And they didn't let their doctrinal differences separate them or, or paralyze them. As a matter of fact, even when they didn't have a pastor for periods of time, they just would take turns preaching. And there was just a sense of unity in the church. And it was one of those early manifestations for me of there's the spirit of God at work in his church. When you see Christians who really should have a hard time getting along, working in community and cooperation. Where have you seen the church work together? The work of the church is completely dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. There are things that we can do in our own strength and abilities and our own talents. But when we begin to try to do things cooperatively in unity, we must remember and call upon the Holy Spirit because he must work in us if anything's to get accomplished, anything of lasting ability. But notice also in verse three that not only are they all together that the Spirit is poured out, but secondly, we're told that, that, the Spirit, the, that the Spirit is poured out like fire and it comes divided as like tongues, we're told, on each person there. So while the Spirit is poured out to them all together, it's also, he's also poured out to them individually. And we see that God's Spirit working individually in each of the people that are there. They all begin to speak in new tongues. Now, it's confusing because sometimes the Bible talks in the New Testament about tongues, meaning like a, an angelic language, one that you can't understand. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. But here, it's not talking about a foreign or a, or a heavenly tongue, but a, rather a, a, a tongue other than your native tongue. And the power and the, of the wind and, the, and this event that's going on draws all these people from different cultures. But then when they're drawn together, they're amazed because as the, the 120 begin to, to pray and speak, they're all speaking different languages. And every person in that that's drawn to them is able to understand. And I don't know if you caught it, but they dig on Galilee. You know, aren't these people from Galilee? These aren't the kind of people that have two or three languages in their, you know. I mean, there's a real dig on Galilee there, right? But, but it's, it's this idea that, that here I'm hearing in my own tongue what you're speaking. And the power of that allows them to be drawn to God. And ultimately, we're told 3,000 are baptized. It's important to remember that the Holy Spirit is poured out on each and every one of us individually. When uh, preparing for this, this the, the, um, if, if you're visiting with us, you don't know, I, I was elected bishop of our diocese. I'll be consecrated at the end of August. I'm in that in-between time. And, and part of what I have to do is I have to go to, to Virginia and sit before the College of Bishops and they'll get to ask me questions and um, I'm referring to it as the Inquisition, but it's really not that quite that um, aggressive. But, you know, it will be an opportunity for me to really sort of talk about, you know, my faith. It's a, it's a safety valve, if you will. You know, it's, it's to protect the church from, from strange and erroneous uh, teachings. And so I'm, I'm grateful for it. But oddly enough, the hardest part of the whole thing has not been answering questions and getting ready for it. It's, the hardest part is the fact that, that I had to produce not only my confirmation certificate and my, my ordination certificate, but I had, to, I had to come up with my baptismal certificate. And I'm not the only one. My, one of my friends is also struggling to find his. Because, I mean, that's a long time ago, right? And we don't necessarily keep up with that. And 
my mom can't find it. And my, my little sister has hers, but of course I don't have mine. And so I've been uh, pursuing that with the, the church up in Atlanta that where I was baptized. And um, I became sort of like an investigative reporter in that situation to the point that this poor woman, just, she just kind of surrendered and she's like, Mr. Farmer, whatever you need, just tell me what you need, I'll do it. So she ended up digging through records to try to find my baptism, record of my baptism, which she has, by the way. But, but one of the things she sent me was so cool because it was, this, it was this little card that I had filled out. It was 1979. Uh, it was on February 25th that I filled it out, 1979. And it's in my, my I would have been 12 years old, my 12-year-old handwriting and in cursive, back when they taught us cursive, with my, my childhood address and, you know, the whole thing. And, and uh, wishes to, Alex Farmer wishes to join the church, check by profession of faith and, and baptism. And then I was baptized the following week. And there was just something about seeing 12-year-old Alex in printed form, this little historical document I'm sure it'll be in an archive somewhere one day, right? But, you know, it's like, it's like seeing this, this, and it just, it caused me to be so thankful for my own spiritual journey. And to recognize that God had called a, a community there at First Baptist Church in Sneville to be a part of mine, and then, and then a church in Jacksonville called Parkwood, and, and, and then All Souls Church in Jacksonville where I, I came into the Anglican Church and, of course, Servants of Christ. And, it, and you begin to think about those, those bodies of faithful believers empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of investing in, in one young man. And, and, of course, they were investing in lots of others as well. I was also thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and to recognize that he had been doing a work in me and he, and he's doing that work in each of us as we allow ourselves to be yielded to his spirit. You know, this morning, perhaps that you've, you've come here as a friend or as, as a, a visitor or somebody who's here for the baptisms and you, 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 can't say that you've ever really heard the gospel the way Peter proclaimed it in Acts 2. You've never really understood that, that Jesus died for your sins, that he, that he died on the cross, that he could atone for your sin debt. And by dying, he atoned for that, the ultimate sacrifice, and that he raised himself, was raised on the third day by God the Father, and, and that he ascended to heaven and that he's interceding for us and that he, he, he desires to come into your life and be, not have you just be a part of the corporate church, but also to have a personal relationship with you. And if that's you, know that you who call on the name of the Lord today will be saved just as Peter proclaimed, just as the church has proclaimed for over 2,000 years. Today is the day of salvation. Today, the Lord longs to have you respond to him, to surrender, to admit that you're a sinner, to believe that Christ was raised from the dead and to confess that Jesus is Lord. In other words, to surrender control of your life to him. And if you do that, the Lord says you will be, you will receive salvation. And there are lots of folks in this room who could stand and give you their 
witness to that life-giving spirit that comes into us, the Holy Spirit, to comfort us, to give us peace, to give us purpose, to begin to direct and challenge us to live a life following after Jesus rather than the things that we've set our sights on before. Our baptismal candidate's about to speak in tongues. Today is the day of salvation. But if you have received Christ, if you have believed upon him, then you have the Holy Spirit. It's simply a matter of whether or not we've begun to cultivate a listening for the Holy Spirit. To begin to understand that. This morning, we're going to baptize little Blake. He has been born to amazing parents who love Jesus. And just like with his older brother, they desire for him to know who Jesus is and to follow him with their, with his, with his life. And, and they're praying for him and they're bringing him up in a church community and they want to see uh, little Blake come to, to Christ as they have, have come to Christ. Um, he also has really amazing grandparents, amen, who are also followers of Jesus. Thank you, Summer. I got a bigger amen from Summer. She's the godmother. But it will not be because he has Christian grandparents or Christian parents that little Blake comes to stand on his own, stand up and confirm that, in fact, he has accepted Jesus, that he believes that, that God has raised him from the dead, that he's a sinner that needed to be, be, be died for, and that he's going to follow Jesus in his life. It will be because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Spirit was at work in my life and in each of your lives, it will be at work in his life. And so this morning, that's what we're doing. We're, we're committing Blake to the Lord. Paige and Jake, Summer and Christian, his godparents are going to stand and they're going to make, make vows on his behalf. And they're going to, they're going to pledge themselves to, to raise Blake and to pray for him in the faith that he will come to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And because Christ has died for him and Christ has been raised for him and because Christ has sent the Holy Spirit, we, we, are, we, we baptize him this morning because he's baptized into that faith. Jesus has done all the work for him. Blake will simply need to grow up and respond to that grace that he's been poured out to him. But throughout his life, like throughout all of our lives, it'll be a matter of yielding and listening to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work in him, learning to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit for the things that God calls us to. There are many things we can do out of our abilities, out of our talents and strengths, things we can do on our own. We do them all the time. Some amazing things, but when it comes to the things that God is truly calling us to do, the things, the, the deeper purposes for our lives, it must be by the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of those things is, can I just say this? Is, is raising a child that professes Jesus as Lord. That is not a work that a human parent can do on their own. Unless the, the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you can lead them, but you can't ensure them coming to Christ. It, it is something that as parents, we have to 
we have to yield our children to the Lord. We recognize that that is one of those things that, that truly only God, I mean, we have a responsibility, but truly it's something that only the Lord can do. And so we yield to the Holy Spirit. And there are things like that throughout all of our lives. Well, before we baptize Blake, just a couple of ways that we can apply Acts 2 this morning. First of all, we need to cultivate ears to hear, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes, most of the time, he won't speak in an audible voice, but he will speak to us if we begin to cultivate a listening to what he wants to say. In the same way that, that a, a parent learns to understand their own child's cry, you know, you, you know when your child cries, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's like, you know, it's like, wait, I hear my child, you know, and you, know, you begin to get that. Moms in the room know that, right? That you, you, you're attuned. You know the, the mom or the mommy that, that, that is for you, that comes to you, right? There's this sense that you, you hear, you hear that, that child. In that same way, we begin to cultivate hearing and listening for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Children also, they begin to know their parents' voice, right? They can hear it, they understand it, they, they, they become familiar with it. So we must become familiar with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we must learn to, to yield to the Holy Spirit. We do that by quieting ourselves. Can I just say that, that life is only becoming more challenging to quiet yourself before the Lord, to hear him. If you roll out of bed and pick up your smartphone, you're instantly inundated with all sorts of input, right? Or if you open the newspaper or turn on the television or whatever, you, I mean, there's all of these voices we're hearing. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna yield to the Holy Spirit, it's gonna be because we learn to quiet ourselves before him and hear what he has to say. And third, we must learn to obey when the Spirit speaks. In the covenant group that, that Josh Pothin has been with us, Josh is moving on to Chicago. We're going to pray for him at the end of the service. But the group that he's been with, one of the things we do in that group is we say, what's going on in your life? What is the Holy Spirit doing? And importantly, how will I respond? We must learn to obey when the Spirit calls us. I'd be remiss if I didn't end the sermon by telling you that, that the, the pouring out of the Spirit ultimately is so that God can witness to those 3,000 who come to faith in him. The Lord wants you to speak about him to those who do not know him. You are being told in your mind that person has no interest in hearing about Jesus. But I'm telling you that the Spirit is going before you and as he emboldens you to speak his name, not everybody, but those for whom he is truly calling will respond, even if they don't tell you. It's like your kids. You tell them things, they don't hear it, but they heard it. The Lord will begin to, to draw them to himself. Friends, this is an important morning. Don't forget the work of the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer says, the Holy Spirit is the neglected member of the Trinity. And yet he is with us always as Jesus has sent him. And he is empowering us to do his work collectively and individually. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit. 
Holy Spirit, we, we yield to you this morning. We, we quiet ourselves before you in worship. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to obey. Oh, Lord, we would, we would see an outpouring of your spirit that would draw thousands, even millions, Lord. Revive the hearts of Christians in North America that we might see your, your kingdom come, Lord, in powerful ways. Lord, we especially pray for little Blake that will be baptized. May he rise up and proclaim you as Lord and Savior. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.